Give ear to the word of the Lord. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Well, we've been going through really first and second Timothy for some time now. We're almost at the end of our study in second Timothy. You might know that first and second Timothy and Titus form what we often call the pastoral epistles. And the reason that we call them that is they're kind of Paul's instructions to these two young pastors as to what they were to do to fulfill their ministry and preaching the word of God and how things were to be done uh, in the churches in a way that pleases God. There's a summary statement it's not intended explicitly to cover all three books, all three letters, but I think it, it does actually do that in some ways. Uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul tells Timothy why he wrote this particular letter. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and buttress of the truth. So in, in a sense, that's kind of a theme of first and second Timothy and Titus in many ways, not just first Timothy. That's, so that's what Paul has been doing. What we've been looking at in this letter and the one before it is essentially that. How are things to be done in the church? What is the gospel ministry? How is it to be uh, fulfilled in those who are called to it? And so here in our text, Paul is in the midst of, uh, if you look at verse two, Paul is in the midst of this charge to Timothy to preach the word of God. And he gave some reasons for why he was to preach back in verse 1. We looked at that a number of weeks ago. Uh, but one of the reasons that Paul gives Timothy for preaching the word uh, is, is one of the reasons is he tells him in verse 3 that a time was coming when many people, he says, would not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine. Uh, but what will they, they would turn away rather than that they would turn away from the truth so strange as it may sound it it sounds kind of kind of opposite doesn't it paul is actually using that as another reason why he should continue to preach the word he's saying people will turn away from it so what should you do that's another reason to preach the word it's more reason not less to preach the word just because people don't want to hear it doesn't mean you stop preaching it uh, rather than being discouraged beyond measure and giving up on preaching the word of God entirely because of these things, Paul would have Timothy and faithful pastors and elders today, in a sense, kind of redouble his efforts. It's almost like he's saying, I know this is going to happen, but preach more. Preach harder. Keep, do keep doing it more. Don't give up on it. Um, and he tells them that many have, it's a, a strange sounding phrase maybe to us, unless you have dogs, uh, many have itching ears, he says. They have itching ears, and they're quick to turn away from the truth. And if they turn away from the truth, they'll also turn away from those who are preaching the truth. So Timothy can expect some to walk away. And they will be turning aside to error and false teaching. But in the case of the ministry of the gospel, 
what he's telling Timothy in, in one sense is that uh, it, it's never going to be the calling of a pastor to give the people just what they want or tell them what they want to hear. He, Paul's acknowledging there's things that people don't want to hear, and some will turn aside just to hear what they want to hear, and don't let that keep you from preaching the word of God. That is not the way the ministry is meant to be. So this morning, I'd like us to take, take a, few, a few moments and consider Paul's instructions to Timothy here in our text and take what he says here to heart for ourselves. Um, I think we're going to see this morning the character and nature of a kind of a strange kind of unbelief. But it's an unbelief, I think, that's all too common in our day, just as it was becoming common in Timothy's day way back when as well. And in some ways, I, I don't say this lightly, in some ways I think what Paul says here should shock us. I don't think it does. I think, you know, what's the old saying? Familiarity breeds contempt. You know, if you've, if you've read these passages so many times throughout your life, you don't have contempt for God's word, but it kind of loses its punch a little bit. You kind of are kind of dimmed to um, what is actually being said. But, you know, if Paul had said what he said here in verses 3 through 5 of rank unbelievers about those who made no profession of faith in Christ and had no real association with the Christian church and the Christian faith, that we could understand. That's not hard to understand. We all have friends, loved ones, family members that when you try to share the scriptures with them, you get the stiff arm. They don't want to hear it. They, you know, they don't want to hear about this God stuff. They think God is part of your imagination and things like this. But that's not what Paul's talking about here, is it? Paul's not talking about the people that are out there. He's talking about, really, uh, people within the visible church. He's talking primarily here about professing Christians. That's who he's describing and warning, really warning Timothy about. And that may sound a little bit surprising, but if you think about it for a moment, it really, it really shouldn't be at all. Uh, we've all seen such things, and no doubt that will continue until the Lord returns. And so let's look at a few things about this, this kind of strange uh, manner of unbelief. I call it apostasy from within the church. Uh, not leaving the church, that's, that's a different kind of apostasy, but the first trait that Paul brings up is that such a person will not endure or put up with sound doctrine. The first, the first way to, to, to recognize it is they will not put up with sound doctrine. Look at verse 3. Paul says to Timothy, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Now, the word teaching there can really be translated, and I think maybe it should be, uh, translated as doctrine. Teaching sounds less negative. I think doctrine in our day seems to have a negative connotation to it. That's really what Paul's talking about is doctrine. All teaching is doctrine and vice versa, but it's doctrine, true doctrine, that these people don't want to hear. And it's not, it's not doctrine per se. You know, people often say that uh, doctrine divides and I, I think it's true, but not in the way that they intend it to be in some ways. But when they say things like that, they act as if there's a choice between doctrine in the church, that is, between doctrine and no doctrine. Is that actually what, what happens? No, there's always doctrine. You, you, you can't be in a church that doesn't teach some kind of doctrine. It's just what doctrine are you being taught? Are you being taught the truth of God's word? Or something else. And so it isn't doctrine per se. These folks, if you read the description, 
they, Paul says they heap up teachers. And the word teacher is the same, it comes from the same word we get teaching or doctrine from. So they, they're, they're following after doctrine of some kind, just not the truth. In fact, again, Paul says they have itching ears for some kind of doctrine, and they'll go as so far as to, he says in the ESV there, accumulate or heap up for themselves teachers of a certain kind whose teaching or doctrine suits their own lusts. So it's not, it's not a matter of no doctrine versus doctrine at all. And so one of the things, this should be a lesson to us, we should be careful that we don't content ourselves with the mere fact that we attend public worship on a regular basis. These people did the same thing. These people weren't skipping church. They were going to church. They weren't going to the, to the right place. They weren't hearing Timothy for sure. They were going to church. Many people in our land and elsewhere go to church. Many, many professing Christians don't, and that is a whole different subject. You know, Hebrews chapter 10 says we, we're not to uh, neglect the, the gathering of the saints, and we certainly should not do that. But we shouldn't be content just with the simple fact that we attend worship on a regular basis. And we should also be careful that we don't likewise content ourselves with the mere listening to or hearing of many sermons. I hope when you come to church, you listen to the sermon. I hope any church... Uh, that someone goes to, they're listening to the, the preaching of the word of God, but just listening to sermons isn't the main, the main thing. The very people that Paul is describing here to Timothy no doubt did that on a regular basis, didn't they? You don't heap up teachers for yourselves without listening to some kind of teaching. So they weren't absenting themselves from public worship. They weren't ignoring the sermon, uh, so to speak, but the sermons they were listening to weren't the truth of God. The people that Paul has in mind here, again, they aren't, they aren't skipping church like godless heathen. They are, you, you probably would say they are studiously attending public worship, and they're even heaping up, as the King James says, teachers unto themselves. But in the midst of all that, they are still the kind of people that Paul describes as refusing to endure sound doctrine. It's a, it's a strong way of putting it. They won't put up with it. It isn't that... You know, they'll listen to this and listen to that. They, they won't listen to it. They will avoid it like the plague. It's the one thing for sure to drive them away from a place, from a church, is to have sound doctrine taught. Now, what is sound doctrine? You ever thought about that? Paul doesn't give us a, a, you know, a, a definition here in this particular passage, but what does Paul mean when he says sound doctrine, when he says they won't endure Sound doctrine, what exactly are these people refusing to endure? There's a few things we can say in, in general. Um, Paul doesn't give us an exact definition here of what he means, but I think when you look at the context of the whole letter, you get a pretty good idea of what he has uh, in mind. The first thing, verse 4, he describes them as have turning away from listening to the truth. Turning away from listening to the truth, verse 4. And so sound doctrine first and foremost, is true doctrine. It's the very truth of God, that being the case, sound doctrine must also be the plain teaching of Scripture. No doctrine can be sound or true that's not firmly based upon the Word of God, which, as Paul says back in chapter 3, verse 16, all Scripture is what? Breathed out by God. In other words, it's God's Word. So no, no doctrine can be thought sound that's not based upon the scripture is the very word of God. 
It's no wonder that earlier in this very letter, back in chapter 2, verse 15, Paul told Timothy, I'll use the old King James way of putting it, he told him to study to show himself approved, approved unto God, and then he says, rightly handling the word of truth. His ministry was to be, was to be known and, and uh, defined by, in many ways, the right handling of the word of God in the preaching and teaching uh, of, of the Lord's church. Sound doctrine is also doctrine that is in accordance with the gospel of Christ. It's in accordance with the gospel of Christ. The simple gospel of Christ, the teaching of Jesus Christ's cross, his resurrection from the dead, his sufferings and his glory for the salvation of sinners, uh, for some in the church are just not enough. They, they grow tired of hearing it. They don't want to keep on hearing these same old things said. As if you could ever get tired of hearing of, of your Savior and your salvation that he earned in his life and death and resurrection. May that never be true of us that we get tired of hearing of Christ and his cross. We should never tire of hearing of Christ's death for sinners for our salvation. We should never tire of hearing about the resurrection of Christ on the third day which Paul says in Romans was for our justification. It proved that the price was paid in full and accepted by God the Father. We should never tire of hearing of Jesus Christ as our Savior and all he has done and is still doing now for our salvation from sin. And this is, this is a hard thing to define perhaps, but beware of any teaching or preaching that minimizes the finished work of Christ or tends toward pride in our own achievements. It's, it's not as uncommon as you, might, as you might think. Sound doctrine is also doctrine in addition to all those things. It's a doctrine that is in accordance with godliness. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 5, Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, and the teaching that accords with godliness... He is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, they, they sort of teach the word of God in some ways, but they kind of treat it like a sport. They kind of treat it as a show to show how clever they are, that kind of a thing. They play with, with, with the word of God as they would play with words in any other context. But Paul says, if anybody teaches a different doctrine that doesn't agree with the sound words of Christ and doesn't agree with what? The teaching that accords with godliness, he was to be avoided. There is a kind of teaching in the church that is not in accord with godliness. In fact, it undermines it. In many ways, that kind of teaching should be avoided like the plague. What did Jesus say? By, your, by their fruits, you will know them. Not just the fruits in their own lives, but the fruits of their ministry. And I think that last one might be what Paul kind of has in mind explicitly here in our text when he speaks of those who have itching ears and heaping up for themselves what? He doesn't just say they heap up for themselves teachers. He says they would heap up for themselves teachers to suit their own passions or lusts. The word is probably better translated lusts. 
Passions can be taken in kind of a neutral way, like your interests or the things that get you going. He's talking about sinful things and lusts. So those with itching ears are really those who flock after whatever doctrine will suit or align with their own lusts and their own sins. This is a common thing and always has been. In other words, whatever teaching or teachers will essentially tell them what they want to hear and will essentially leave them comfortable in their sins, that's the teaching they will follow after. I don't think it's hard to think about uh, how common, how commonplace that is in the church today. Many will not endure sound doctrine because they will not endure sound living. You know, sometimes what's the old saying? You don't know what's the chicken and what's the egg. That's a difficult thing here as well, but they're so closely related, we don't know which one was the start and which one was the result. But these things both tend to go together. The unrepentant don't want to hear things that contradict how they live. And that, that is as true in our day as it was in Timothy. So I'll ask this morning, what about you? And I sincerely hope that no one here is, as I'm, as I'm reading these words, I hope nobody's sitting here saying, oh, that sounds like me. I hope that's not the case. I trust that is not the case for anybody here, but I hope, I hope it is not. I hope that rather than refusing to endure sound teaching and seeing it as some kind of a burden of some kind, that you will instead have just the opposite experience, that you will have a growing desire for the truth of God's word. Regardless of what it says, even the parts that make you uncomfortable, even the parts that might, as Paul says, when he told Timothy to preach the word, he talked about uh, be ready in the season. He says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Sometimes God's word involves rebukes to our sins, to our shortcomings, and we should welcome that. It's for our good. But I hope you have a growing desire to hear the word of God taught and preached, and that which is in accord with godliness. I hope that you delight in the word of God, looking forward to sound doctrine, even demanding it from the pulpit. It's what we should demand. It's what we should not. We should stand for nothing less than the sound teaching of God's word. Well, the second aspect of, of a kind of this kind of apostasy that Paul has in mind within the church is that our text says such people will have what he calls itching ears. Now, if you have a dog at home, you probably have no no hard time figuring out what this is, is a picture of. You know, you scratch a dog's ears, their foot starts to. You know, we love dogs, but this is this is not the way we should be behaving in the church. Um, and so what's going on here is that such people are heaping up teachers or following after them who simply give the people what they want. They tell the people what the people want to hear. That's a lot of things, but faithful shepherding is not one of them. Remember the way that Paul described preaching back in verse 2. There he says to Timothy, preach the word. Now he could have just stopped there, right? He could have kept it ambiguous and we all would have said, well, of course, Right, But he says, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season. But then he says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And so the preaching of God's word must involve at times reproof, correction, rebuke, and exhortation. And if you think about these things rightly, really none of those things, none of those things tend toward pleasing those with itching ears. All those things involve, in some way, either correction or exhorting someone to doing things that they're not already doing in some ways. No one wants to hear that on their own. Let me ask you this, uh, this question for your own consideration. In any other part of life, work, business, 
buying or selling something, any, any part of life, in any other part of life, what would you think of someone who always told you what you wanted to hear? If someone always said exactly what they knew you wanted to hear, what would you think? What if you asked somebody for advice about an important life decision or some such thing, and all they ever did was agree with you and validate whatever your plans may have been? Would you keep going to them? Would you say, oh, this is great. Of course, I'm being, whatever I thought is, is being, in some ways, it kind of reminds me of some forms of psychology. I had a professor at, at, at college, and he was very uh, open about these things. And he, he was, late in life, I found it to be oddly encouraging. He was, in some ways, criticizing his own profession and the things that he was taught when he was younger. And he, he taught us the, the practice of reflection. You ever been to counseling? And what, what is reflection? Reflection is when they basically just repeat back everything you say to them. And sometimes that's all you do, in, in a sense. And he said it was amazing that people would walk away. This guy really gets me. This counselor really understands. He was really, really helpful. And he says, all I did was say back what they said to me. I didn't tell them anything. I just parroted right back to them kind of what. And he was trying to help them. He wasn't being facetious. But he said that's literally what would happen in his office from time to time. Would you trust such a person? Would you keep going back to them for advice? Or would you think of them as little more than a politician or a bad used car salesman. Isn't that kind of what they do? That's what the itching ear preacher is doing. He is not teaching the truth of the word of God. He's just looking to close the deal or make the sale, so to speak. That's all it's about at the end of the day. It's people pleasing. You know, I, I couldn't help but think of the stories in the, in the Old Testament in 1 Kings of King Ahab. Uh, King Ahab and, and all, his, all his prophets that told him what he wanted to hear. You might remember King Ahab called Elijah the prophet. He called him the troubler of Israel. Why? Because he always came telling him to repent. He came preaching a message of, of judgment for idolatry and sin and calling them to repentance, and they didn't want to repent. And so rather than saying the trouble was their own sin, he was like, oh, look, here comes the troubler of Israel again. He's going to give us a hard time. First Kings 22, verse 8, King Ahab was talking to Jehoshaphat. Hard to pronounce that, that name. Uh, but he, he called Micaiah or Micah. Uh, he, he said that he hated him. He said he hated this one particular prophet, Micaiah, much like he probably hated Elijah. And the reason for it is this. He says he hated him for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. He doesn't tell me what I want to hear. In fact, he tells me the opposite. He tells me what I don't want to hear. And in fact, that very text mentions in, in 1 Kings 22 that Ahab, think about this. In fact, this really fits our text. It just occurred to me. Uh, it says he had 400 prophets. He heaped up for himself teachers to suit his own ways, to suit his own lusts and sins. He had 400 prophets prophets and what he was doing was he was saying shall i go up to war will the lord be with me if i go into this battle and all 400 of them was said go for it god's with you you can you can do it right but then what did he do somebody's like what about micaiah 
You sure? Why don't we ask him? There's one prophet you haven't asked. And he said, oh, no, I hate him. Literally, it's what he says. I hate him because he never, he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. Rather than saying there's a reason for that, he faults the prophet himself. 400 of those prophets were sending him to his death by patting him on the back and telling him things that just weren't so. And those were the ones that he surrounded himself with. When it comes to the preaching and teaching of the word of God, many, even in the church, will flock to whatever brand of preaching makes them most comfortable. Entire outreach and church growth programs, so to speak, seem to be modeled on those kinds of things. And I would include in that what we sometimes call the entertainment model of worship, for example. Ask yourself this. Is a church whose worship service seems to be tailor-made to please the unbeliever um, likely to speak difficult truths to you? Is a church whose worship seems to be about entertaining its members likely to include reproving, rebuking, and exhorting, as Paul says, must be a part of the word of God in verse 2? I know that's very subjective, but it's something we need to think about. Beware of seeking after preaching and teaching in the church that scratches where your itch is. That will not tend toward ministering the word of God faithfully to you. It's likely, if in many ways, those kinds of things are very likely to leave many things unsaid that very much need to be said. If we're always chasing after whatever the latest fad is, there's probably something wrong. May the Holy Spirit work in your heart and mind that we might be inclined more and more toward the truth of God and sound doctrine in his word and not in the things that scratch our itches and only tell us the things that we might want to hear at the given moment. Well, last but not least, and these things all go together. They're not all separate in any way. Uh, the last thing Paul mentions about this, this, this kind of apostasy within the church is that people end up turning away from the truth entirely. Literally, it says, turning their ears away from the truth. Verse 4, Paul says that such people will, quote, will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So Paul, Paul here is describing a turning away from one thing and a turning aside to something else, which is the way it always really happens. Um, such people that will not tolerate sound doctrine will turn away from the truth of God's word. They will not endure it and will not listen to it. Uh, but these don't just turn aside to nothing. That's the strangeness of this kind of apostasy. They don't just stop listening to teaching. They seek after it. It's like they want, they want the appearance of godliness while denying its power in many ways, as Paul says elsewhere in this letter. Now, what are these myths that Paul has in mind? Uh, we don't know. Paul doesn't really spell it out in so many ways for us here. We do know it's clear that these things are false. They are made-up doctrines uh, invented by men who twist the scripture, as Peter says in one of his letters, by those who twist the scriptures to their own destruction, Second Peter three, sixteen. Now, I'll say this. How many churches can you think of, and please don't raise your hand or say any names, but how many churches can you think of in this town or maybe back where you grew up, if you grew up somewhere else, of all the churches in a particular town, Ramona or elsewhere, how many of them do you think sincerely hold the truth of the word of God? How many, by and large, could be described accurately by what Paul describes and says here in our text? I have to say, I, it, 
it seems as if the majority fit Paul's description, which is a, a frightful thing to think about. How many professing believers, how many Christian churches, how many even entire denominations at some point have turned away from the truth and turned aside unto error and false teaching? Some of the greatest churches and denominations in our country's history have, done, have gone this route. It's a sad thing to think about. It's a sobering thought to consider. How many started off well only to cave into the pressures of this unbelieving world or even to worldly believers from within the church who simply would not endure sound doctrine? So what are you and I to do as believers? What is, no, again, when you're when reading through Second Timothy, most of us here aren't going to be preachers and teachers, so what's the application? There is application for us. What, what are we to do? Paul tells Timothy what he should do, doesn't he? Paul basically says, despite all these things, and in some ways even because of it, Timothy was to preach the word. All these negative things we've just looked at, Paul says, you know what your response should be? Preach the word. Don't stop preaching the word on account of these things. In fact, look at verse 3 again. Paul actually says that one little word at the beginning. He says, preach the word in verse 2, and then he says in, chat, in verse 3, for the time is coming. In other words, this is one of the reasons he was to preach the word. You could translate that because of this or because of these things, for the time is coming when people weren't going to endure sound doctrine, they would turn away from the truth. Because of that as well, he was to continue to preach the word. So Paul is telling Timothy, really, to preach the word because that time was coming. Those circumstances might lead us toward cowardice and shrinking back from the truth and preaching the truth, but that wasn't what Timothy or any of us were supposed to do. In fact, in verse 5, look what Paul tells him. He says, as for you, here's what they're doing. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. In other words, don't worry about what they're doing. Do what God has called you to do. That's good advice for all of us. Do what God has called you to do, and don't worry about what somebody else is or isn't doing. Minister the word of God. Preach the word. That's your calling, so just do it. John Stott puts it this way. He says, although the people will not listen to sound teaching, Timothy must persist in teaching it, and so be prepared to endure suffering on account of the truth he refuses to compromise. Whenever the biblical faith becomes unpopular, ministers are sorely tempted to mute those elements which give most offense. And what's the implication? Don't. God, don't be ashamed of God's word. Preach God's word, all of it, regardless of people's response to it. You might be saying at this point, you could almost be forgiven for thinking this way, well, this is what's going to happen. What's the point? Why bother? If people aren't going to endure or put up with sound teaching, if they're going to turn away from the truth, you know, why not just do something else? Why not just go into a different line of work? Well, first and foremost, faithfulness to God is the goal, not success. That's a hard thing to, to think about. In any walk of life, whatever you're doing, it's to glorify God. Faithfulness to God is, not the, is the goal and not success. In fact, faithfulness to God and his word is the right measure of success. That is what a successful ministry is, regardless of the results. But beyond that, do we forget that it's the preaching of God's word that is the power of salvation uh, unto those who believe? 
You preach it because, because God's word really is living and active. Those people's unbelief doesn't have the last word, does it? God, con God converts people that are dead in sin by the preaching of his word. That's why he used to continue to preach it. Think about this. On, on our own, on your own, but for the grace of God in Christ, every last one of us sitting here would fit the description Paul gives in this text. At best, we might not even heap up teachers. We might just not hear anything, right? On our own, outside of the grace of God in Jesus Christ, this is us. This would be a description of us. On your own, left to yourself, did you just, on your own, naturally come to believe the truth of God's word? No. Did you turn away from lies unto the truth of the gospel all on your own? No. Did you repent of your sin and turn to faith in Christ if you're a believer this morning? Did you do that on your own? Or did God work that in you by his Holy Spirit? Did God grant you repentance and faith and make you a new creation, as he says in Ephesians chapter 2? No, it's God himself who opens the eyes of the blind. It's God himself who, by the preaching of his word and the work of his spirit, gives new life to the spiritually dead. Not, not spiritually sick, not spiritually handicapped or having a hard time. God raises the dead to life in the preaching of his word. It's God who calls sinners out of darkness into his marvelous light by preaching the word of Christ. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 to 17, Paul says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. If they don't preach, no one's going to hear. And if they don't hear of Christ, how will they believe? Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In fact, elsewhere in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says it's through the foolishness of preaching that God saves sinners. It, it looks like foolishness of the world, but it's how God works. It's also how God sanctifies his people. John 17, 17, he sanctifies us by his truth and his word is truth. So let us not lose heart, regardless of how things may, may look inside the visible church in our land. For the Lord Jesus Christ is still on his throne. He is still, as Revelation says and describes him as, he is still riding forth, conquering and to conquer by the preaching of his gospel. You know, we just sang a, a song based on Psalm 72, Jesus shall reign wherever the sun. Like that's his reign shall have no end of the increase of it. His kingdom shall have no end. And he will go on conquering and to conquer. It says in the Bible of his kingdom and of the increase of it, there shall be no end. And how does that come about? God uses the preaching of his word, as foolish as it may look, to extend his kingdom and to build it on this earth. Amen.